back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined by Calvin. He's back this week after a week hiatus. Calvin, how you doing? I'm doing well, Gino. How about you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, you know, obviously the the postponements and not getting to watch too much football over the past week, or as much as we would have expected during the festive right. fixtures, is is always a little disappointing. But of course, we'll t- you know we'll touch on that in the uh in, in later in the pod but first we have to talk about games that were played and Chelsea and Everton did play this past Thursday um and let's start with um how things were going in now we you know we me and um me and Ian touched on this on the pod Everton without I think you know at least seven first team players maybe more um yeah. The lineup that was released on um, on Thursday, I think, was about what many would have expected, probably, but still doom and gloom compared to <laughs> what we normally see each and every week. Um, some youngsters getting some time to play, and we'll we'll get into all that. But the, let's talk about the lineup: Pickford in goal, of course, he he was okay, and then across the back line, a back five, it seemed like, of John Joe Kenny, Mason Holgate, Michael Keane. Jared Branthwaite, Ben Godfrey, Anthony Gordon in the midfield, along with Andre Gomes filling in for Alan, who was hurt, uh, Ducore, Awobi, and then Ellis Sims getting the start up front. Um, it's presumed that Rondon, had, Rondon, Coleman, and Allen had knocks or whatnot that kept them out of this one. Dean yeah. was ill, and I use quotation marks. <laughs> Quotes, right. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, a host of, of other players. Mina's still injured. BCL still injured. Damari Gray, uh, I guess, picking up an injury, um, you know, uh, and, and just, you know, it, it's, <laughs> there, were, there were a lot of players out. A lot of yeah. players not available. Um, but they held strong. Yeah. What were your thoughts on the lineup? And let's start here because we didn't have you on the pod. What were your thoughts on the lineup and what were your thoughts going into this match on on how this game was going to go? I think pretty much like everyone else, right? We expected like a drubbing. We thought we were going to get hammered in this one, right? Um, I know Chelsea have struggled a little bit recently in recent games. So, you know, it, it, it felt like this was going to be their get back on track game. Um, again, it was all doom and gloom. There was just really nothing nothing I'll, I'll just be honest there was nothing you could hang your hat on and say hey at least there's this that there was not right and then the lineup comes out and then even more people were out than we initially presumed right like you said um you know coleman and alan were carrying knocks we figured they would be at, at least on in the squad but rondon no sign of him dimari gray like not even in the squad at, at all so it's like what is going on and obviously, with all these uh, last-minute annunciation annunci- announcements of uh, all these uh, players testing positive and COVID protocols and being held up, uh, held out, uh, so it's like, what is going on? Not not clear. And then you look at the lineup itself, and it was like, wow, you know, we've been we've been yelling for a long time, right? We should give Brantwaite a chance. We should give Sims a chance, um, but. You know, away at Chelsea uh, was probably not how we envisioned it. I don't think it's how the players themselves thought they would play their first games of the season. But hey, you know what? To their credit, they got they got thrown in. It was a yeah. it was a tough situation, and uh, 
you know, I, I think the first half an hour was interesting, right? Uh, mm-hmm. um, Sims, I'm, and I'm going to focus, let's, let's focus specifically on, on a couple of guys who haven't had much minutes this, this, this season, right? John yeah. Joe Kenny, right? Uh, again, John Joe Kenny, we've, we've talked about him. You know, we know he's not Premier League starter material, right? Mm-hmm. But it seems like he held his own. Branthwaite, I think, uh, Branthwaite and Holgate, both of them, right? They were a little more protected with us playing a back five. Yeah. Having three center backs back there really did help the both of them. Holgate looked like he was trying to get sent off before halftime. So that <laughs> somehow it didn't happen. Um, I, I think the halftime break was actually good for Holgate. I think he actually calmed down and, and I yeah. think he was much better in the second half. Um, and then Branthwaite, right? I think he had a bit of a rocky start. Seems like he was having some communication issues with Godfrey. It's just, uh, I mean, Chelsea were focusing a lot of their attacks going you know, right up the middle and right down the Everton left. But, uh, you know, I think once we settled in, I think it really felt like getting closer to halftime that I, I don't think, I didn't, I didn't feel Chelsea were going to score until, unless someone made a mistake, right? Yeah. And that's exactly what ended up happening in the second half, right? So I know we'll dig into the goals a little later, but... Yeah, just looking at that lineup, it, it did not help the feeling that we were going to get dropped, right? Yeah, I mean, on the pod, I think I picked 4-1 to Chelsea. And that's <laughs> the first time I've ever, I think, picked a score that lopsided on the pod in terms right? of a prediction. Yeah. But it, it just didn't feel like one of those games that was going to be anything special. It looked like it was a game where you we were going to absolutely pounded and, uh, you know, right, <laughs> we probably deserve to. And, and, and like you said, right. the first 30 minutes, I mean, Chelsea did miss a few too many chances. Um, yep. You know, Pickford was phenomenal in those first 30 minutes. Uh, you mentioned Mason Holgate trying to get a red card, which I'm still convinced he was trying to get as well. Because, I mean, he was <laughs> reckless all over the place. Yeah. Even with the yellow oh, card, he was reckless. Um, wow. But I think the back five really did help. Like you said, I think it helped Holgate. I think it will help Branthwaite. And I think it helped John Joe Kenny because there's yeah. less responsibility of him getting back if he gets forward. Um, right. So, you know, I think that helped him. And then, of course, having a Wobie on that side. I mean, I know we give a Wobie a lot of slack and didn't have his best game, but he is a more defensive wide player than, you know, with Amari Gray or an Anthony Gordon. So having that in front of him, I'm sure, was, was helpful as well. But, um, you know, let's focus on, um, you know, Let's focus on, on Ellis Sims. I know a lot of people, you know, he didn't get too many touches. Um, no. A lot of people, though, still saying, oh, man, Ellis Sims, like, he's nothing special, this, that, and the other thing. We shouldn't be thinking like that, right? This really isn't a, a good representation of what he is, correct? Right. Yeah. I, I, again, having watched him playing at the youth level too, right? I, I, I think he's got the right mentality. He definitely has all the physical attributes. Obviously, he's still he's still growing, right? Uh, but I, it, it, he, he's he's got the he's got the right eye for goal. I'm almost gonna say he seems a lot more composed for his age than even Dom Dominic Calvert Lewin was at that age. Um, I, I, you know, when, remember when we signed DCL and, uh, you know, when he played his first games, he was just all limbs, right? He was all mm-hmm. over the place and he did not look as coordinated and as, uh, I don't know, imposing a player as he's, as he's become now. So I, I think credit to, to the player, obviously, and some of the coaching he's received over the years. But yeah, I think Sims is on, is on, is on the right track. Just the, the, the concern has always been with these guys, with these kids, right? And especially this whole crop of kids. And I'm even going to throw 
um, like Lewis Dobbin and Tyler Onyango in on this. And, you know, Jeff, when he's on the pod, he's talked about it, right? These kids need to be playing regularly, right? And they don't, yeah. they don't need to be playing under 23 football. That's yeah. just, it, it's, it, they're past it. It doesn't challenge them anymore. They're not getting any better playing there. So if we're not going to be giving these guys regular minutes, they need to go out on loan. Yeah. Um, Branthwaite, I think he's showing he's ready to play. I, I think he needs to be playing. Um, mm-hmm. If anything, he's already shown he's, uh, he needs to be the first name um, ahead of Mason Hallgate if, if we don't have Yeri or Michael Keane for any reason, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Sims, Sims, Sims is doing the right things. He's obviously, you got put in a hopeless position, right? You're playing a 5-4-1 against a, a three-man back line that Chelsea have. And they've got one of the best central defenders of all time, I would call him, Thiago Silva. We've got Anton Rudiger, who's probably one of the best central defenders in the game today. Yeah. It's, Sims was never going to be able to do too much there. Mm. At best, if he latched onto uh, a pass from a break or something, that would be it. So uh, under, yeah. under that lens, I think he did fine. Yeah, I, I, I find it hard to really judge him on the performance that he had just because there's nothing really he could have done. And I know some people will point to Lewis Dobbins' performance. He did look a little bit more um, energetic and more involved in the game. But I think at that time it was a different game as well. Fresh legs. Sims was kind of asked to do a little bit of an impossible task because the game was not as open as it was towards the end of the match. Um, it wasn't as open for Everton in the first 60 minutes or whatnot. So right. I think it'd be unfair to judge Sims on this match. I still would like to see him against, you know, maybe a Burnley, maybe see him in a game where we can be, maybe have some players back and be, be more expansive if, if DCL yeah. is still out. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and Chelsea, listen, I mean, we, we, were ta- we were talking about Chelsea and, and we tied Chelsea, but we do need to point out, did not have a true striker in their squad. Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, Romelu Lukaku, all not in the squad for, um, I'm not sure what exactly was the reason, but, and, and not that Chelsea strikers have been scoring goals by any means. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, that obviously didn't help them, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, in terms of Branthwaite, I thought Branthwaite was fantastic. And I'd really like to see him in that role alongside Michael Keane in, in the same way that, that Yerry Mina's used. I know we, um, you know, we, when we watch Yerry Mina play and, and, and him alongside Michael Keane, he seems to make Michael Keane better. It's another big defender in there. Jared Branthwaite kind of carries that presence as well, as opposed to a Holgate or Godfrey who's a little smaller. Um, so I, I would like to see him. I, I thought he was fantastic. And, um, yeah. you know, let, we'll get into the goal in a second, but let's talk about the Chelsea goal first. What went wrong on the Chelsea goal? Uh, what was, you know, what was the problem here? Yeah, so, the, you know, I, I will give Everton credit, though, because just before the goal, right, Everton had been attacking, right? We almost had not even a sniff at goal in the first yes. half, right? The second half, I think we did actually try to sort of launch more attacks, even though they were on the counter. And and that's exactly how the goal came, right? It was yeah. it, it was a four-on-four break, right? We, we, we looked like we had some open guys, and... and and Dokure just chose the wrong pass, right? And, and yeah. basically, ball got intercepted. Chelsea turned that very quickly into a counter of their own, and we got caught out, right? Um, yeah. I, I think what is very telling about the goal, which came down the Everton left, was that Ben Godfrey, who's, who was playing, you know, left uh, left back today. I mean, or left wing back, whatever Thursday you want night. To call it. Yeah. yeah, left wing back, left back, whatever you want to call it. And 
his natural instinct, watch him when that final pass yep. to Mason Mount goes through, right? Yep, thought the same his thing. His eyes are going the wrong way. His eyes are going towards the center of yep. the goal, which is a center back's thinking, right? And yes. that's the problem. They're playing him out of position. I don't want to be up on for that. But <laughs> again, I, I don't know if this comes down to the manager because we've talked about this a lot. But yeah, Ben Godfrey is not a natural left back or a full back. And he in a bind or in a pinch can work, but uh, it, I think that was it. And that's all it took, right? And, yeah. and so then, as soon as the ball goes out wide to mount, Godfrey's first two steps, instead of going towards the player and the sideline, were towards goal. And that yeah. gave, you know, mounts quick. So he got it. That, that was enough space for him to just get two steps ahead. And then, and then, and, and that was a good shot. That was smart yeah. for the near post because, Again, I think Pickford was expecting a shot at the far post. He'd already yeah. made two or three saves, you know, from narrow angles going towards the post away from him. So uh, I think he kind of expects the ball to go towards the far post and mount out of the near post. Goal. It's a disappointing goal to concede after how disciplined we'd been all game long. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I saw immediately watching the replay, the first thing that jumped out to me is Ben Godfrey sort of leaning and cheating towards the middle. He's a little bit too more yeah, too yeah. central. And then, uh, you know, the ball gets pushed outside and he just doesn't have enough time to recover in, in the situation yeah. that he was in. I mean, he was – it's just it, – especially in the back five, he should have been more wide, shouldn't have been as central. Yeah. There was, you know, there's two other center backs there and a right back could have easily been um, pushed out more left. That was the thing that stuck out to me and what allowed that goal to happen. Um Again, Decore making a poor pass um, or a poor decision to lead to the uh, lead to the goal, but I think think it still could have been prevented. I think the big thing for me was God Godfrey's positioning and where he was, and I think that allowed Mason Mount to get space on on the wing and uh, get enough space to put it put it in the back of the net. But um, I mean, like you said, we I mean we had chances too. I mean there was there's a chance we probably should have been up one nothing already at that yeah. point. But, and as I mentioned, Decore didn't have, or I mean, not Decore, uh, Wobi did not have a good day. And I mean, oh. he just made the wrong decision. There was plenty of space to play in Decore. Uh, would, have, uh, would have at least had a, a one-on-one with the goalie. Uh, yeah. He may not have scored, but would have had a one-on-one with the goalie uh, just inside the 18-yard box if he plays him through. Um, he chooses to go out wide right. And Everton wastes the chance. I'm not really sure what happened there because whoever was out wide right, which I think it was Sims, yeah, it was Sims, had plenty of time to make a decision or make a cross into the box. Like I'm sure Decoria was still running, and yeah. you know they stood, they basically botched that whole play. So um, certainly frustrating. Um, and 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 that came not long before the goal. Um, you know the yeah. goal came shortly after, uh, but thankfully. Everton had uh, had some some luck on their side, uh, and 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 you know, I, I think that it was much deserved in terms of the player who the assist came from, and 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 Branthwaite as well. The goal, um, goal er, earned the goal, but uh, you know, Gordon played really well. I thought in this match, and he's really come into his own. Has really played fantastic. Um, you know, I think for a majority of the games he's been able to start recently, I think he's a really like he he's really developed um, and just puts in a beautiful ball on the on the cross and and Branthwaite gets a touch on it and and Everton score. Um, your thoughts on on Gordon and and the goal? Yeah, 
Yeah, so let, yeah, let's start with Gordon, right? Yeah, I think you're right, right? I, I think just ha- him getting more minutes and, and, and sort of, um, you know, being more trusted with, with the role, has, has, he's really flourishing in that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's very interesting that, uh, I, I think many people said this uh, after the game too, that that might have been Gordon's best game for the first team. I, I think yeah. I tend to agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's very interesting that he had that game against Chelsea because um, Chelsea themselves have had, you know, players like Mason Mount come through the system, right? Mm-hmm. So for all the criticism that, you know, like Frank Lampard received when he was Chelsea manager, I think one of the few good things he did there was he brought through a lot of their youngsters. Um, and Chelsea's, Chelsea's youth system is ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Well, I I think they have like thirty or forty players out on loan every season. That that's that's insane. Um, and, and I think I think for fun we have done this before too. But if if you make a like a, a squad of players that Chelsea let go, yep. I think that would probably win the Premier League, right? Because yeah. you have Mo Salah and Rom up top, right? So you'd have De Bruyne. Legion. Yeah, De Bruyne, dude. Exactly. Oh my goodness. How did I miss him? So exactly. So anyway, so. Uh, you know, thinking of it that way, I think Gordon had a really good game. I, I think he, he's really broken out as a as flourished as a as as a first team player. I, I think he's only going to get better from here. What his ceiling is, I don't think we even know right now. Just what he needs to do is he need he definitely needs to pack on a few pounds because he is you know physically he's still a little is is not quite all there yet. Um, he runs the risk of becoming like Bernard. Remember how Bernard just basically would get shoved off the ball and yeah. just the league was too physical for him. So I think Gordon's got to work on that a little bit. Uh, maybe hook him up with whoever uh, Dom's trainer is because Dom is just ripped nowadays, right? So, um, yeah, I, I think get, get – but, yeah, that aside, I think the footballing mind is there. I think the skill is there. The talent is there. Um, I did not know Gordon could take a dead ball, but – Apparently he can, so <laughs> we should see more of that, right? Yeah. I mean, usually when when Andros is playing and Dimari is playing, we you know we and and, and Luke Dina is playing, we don't have Gordon taking any set pieces. But uh, when you look at that in slow motion and when you look at that angle from behind the goal, that is a beautiful ball because that is uh-huh. curled in right at the back post. All it yep. needs is a touch, and you know, Big Branthwaite got his boot to it, and and that's all it needed. So. Oh, that, was, that was excellently worked goal. Um, I did laugh a little bit at uh, a couple of Chelsea blogs that we follow on our RBM Twitter account who were complaining that that wasn't a foul because Gordon, I, I guess, tripped on his own feet. I think conveniently people were forgetting that he tripped on his own feet because he got shoved in the back. But okay. <laughs> so, whatever. But no, I, I, think, I, I think Gordon played very intelligently. He knew he wasn't going to get much support, right? So. Yeah. Uh, he made himself available whenever we countered. Even when you look at that, that that whole sequence, that it will be wasted, right? And you've got a couple of pictures floating around. I know we tweeted something about it as well. And mm-hmm. when you look at Iwobi, when he receives the ball, he's got Dokure between two center backs, wide open. He's got Sims parallel to him on Iwobi's right. And if you look far to the bottom of the screen, is Gordon also wide open? So, yeah, you know, Iwobi had three choices with, to pass the ball to, and he picked the third, like the third choice, the, the worst, worst one. <laughs> yeah, he if he had actually just played it long to the corner flag for Gordon to run into and put in a low cross, that would have also worked. You know, <laughs> so just 
anyway, that aside, so that's the kind of thing. I think Gordon, I think he's seeing the game really well right yeah. now. So I'm, I'm super excited for him. I, I think he's going to be great. Yeah, I, I just think he's been so uh, – the confidence is clearly showing because he's been so um, – like forward with the ball, like he has been attacking yeah. players. So it's right. Exactly. Um, and, and it just looks like he's ready to take on whoever is coming his way. And, uh, you know, it's great to see from a young kid like that, you know, it's, it's great to see that he's able to kind of build on that confidence and able to get forward and add something to the attack. And I, I think just, um, you know, I, I think our, you know, if we just think back a year or two ago to our winger situation and you look at it now and you've got, you know, when fully healthy, you have a Richarlison that you can play on the wing who's very good at running at players. Damari Gray, who's very good at running at players. Anthony Gordon, yeah. uh, Andrews Townsend, who's good at whipping and crosses, you know, um, and Anthony Gordon, Damari Gray, not too bad at whipping and crosses. I mean, think about our crossing options yeah. a year or two ago, you know, they were not that well. So, or they were not that good. No. So, um, you know, I think from a winging – again, I, I've said this multiple times in the pod. I think from an attacking perspective, there's plenty of options in terms of those wing positions, those outside midfielders. And, right. you know, of course, when Dom's healthy, the striker position is always, um, you know, solid. Um, again, it's, you know, the midfield, the defense that we need to work on. And, you know, uh, I'm, hopefully we'll, we'll get on that in the transfer window. But we'll see. Um, but, yes, I think yeah. – I think they played I, – I think it was, you know, Gordon, again, fantastic. I think, again, we'll talk – you know, we talked about Brantway, fantastic. What did you think about Lewis Dobbin's debut? So, yeah, so Dobbin was interesting, too. Again, so Dobbin got – you know, so Sims, obviously, coming back from a, a pretty bad injury, right? I don't think yeah. he's actually played a full 90 minutes yet, so he was never going to finish this game. Uh-huh. Now, Dobbin – has had a lot more success playing in as a wide attacker. So he's more of a gray than he is a, a dom, if you know what I mean. Right? Yeah. So he, he plays really well in a 4-3-3 as a, as a wide attacker. Um, yeah. he, I, I, the way I look at Dobbin, I think his, not his ceiling, but his comparable would be Mason Greenwood, right? Uh, yeah. From United. Yeah. Right? Uh, a striker with, with plenty of pace, talent on the ball. And so throwing Dobbin on was interesting, you know, A, giving Sims a break. Sims wasn't going to last too long after the 60-minute break, 60-minute mark. Um, and then secondly, right, as Chelsea pushed forward for, you know, the, the winner of, I guess, the goal at that time, right? And then later on for the winner, Dobbin was a better bet to, to save up for the end of the game because yeah. he can run. I mean, he definitely is talented. He's got pace. And I think he likes attacking from those wide areas. Um, I, I think Dobbin actually did well with what he had. Uh, a mm-hmm. couple of times the ball, he looked like he'd made a couple of dribbles and, you know, he was just getting into a shooting position and then the ball kind of bobbled away from him and it was disappointing. It looked like he had a chance, he had a chance. Uh, but yeah, again, just short, small sample size, right? These yeah. kids need to be playing a lot more, right? So yeah. no, I, was, I was happy for him. I was happy he got to get a few significant minutes, not not just coming on for the last two minutes in a dead game. Yeah. Right? So uh, I think he did okay too. I, again, nothing to complain about with the youngsters. I think they've proven it at the youth level. They just need to get more time and more opportunities. Just, uh, I think a lot like we did with Borden. Right? I think Borden yeah. has had a long, stretched out period to get acclimated to the senior side. And I think that's what's going to be needed for Dobbin and for, for Sims um, and then Tyler and Yango who came on in the last few minutes too. Right? I, again, same thing. Uh, 
Tyler is a big boy. I love watching yeah. him play in the under-23s. He just towers over everyone else on the pitch. I think he's got pretty good vision. Uh, so, uh, again, excellent midfielder. Uh, I think Tyler Nyango learning from Dokore is, yep. is could he could not have had a better role model for mm-hmm. him, right? Yeah. So if he can just turn into Dokore version 2.0, I think we're going to be all set. Yeah, and again, we talk about this youth, and it's very exciting because there are a lot of good, young, talented players that are in the academies that have really made a name for themselves. And I thought the same thing. Tyler Nyango is is Decore 2.0. If he can step into that role, that would be really helpful um, and, and really great. And it's just another, you know, we're starting to see options present themselves, which is not typical for an Everton squad over the last few years. So, um, you know, again, in terms of Ellis Sims, and I don't know if you mentioned this earlier, but, you know, his we've talked with with people, and I know Jeff mentioned this, his typical role as a striker is getting in behind the defense. You know, he's not the typical hold-up play. Um, and again, as you did say, um, you know, he was put on an island out there in a position that he was not really, you know, a, a style of attack and a style of play that he's not really acclimated to or not really built for. So I didn't really get the benefit of the doubt with that one. But Lewis Dobbin, again, came in in, in a more expansive game. The game had, had opened up a little bit. And I thought he was pretty solid. I, I thought he was pretty solid. Um, so. He had he had come so he had, he had some um, some really good movements uh, in the attack. I thought he was strong on the ball for the most part. I thought he was you know attack minded. I thought he was had a you know had a, a mind for creating the goals. And there were a couple times where maybe he took a one dribble too much, or you know just to try yeah. and open up the space a little bit. But you learn that with more playing time, and, and he'll get that. But I was excited by him. I'm still excited to see what, what Ellis Sims can do in a, you know, a team that has more players and against the war squad. Um, and I'm very excited to see what Tyler Nyango can do. I think the youth is very good. And um, you know, I, think, I think there's a lot of things to be happy about with you know, the Branthway performance, the Dobbin performance, the yeah. Gordon performance, the Onyango performance. That's, you know – four really talented performances that I thought we saw or things that opened our eyes a little bit against a good squad. You know, if this was against Norwich, we may not be looking into it that much, but this, you know, Chelsea may have been straight, may have been missing strikers, but they weren't missing defenders. They weren't missing midfielders for the most part. I don't think so. um, You know, I mean, they made, they they made a good impression. Um, Anything else you want to touch on before we move on? from the Chelsea match. Yeah, uh, let's talk about Jordan Pickford. I, I think he had a very, very good game, right? I, I agree, um, yes. Yeah, I, I think it kind of went under the radar a little bit because we were all excited about the youngsters. But, uh, you know, Kevin, Kevin, who he's been on this pod before too, but Kev writes the five telling stats piece after every game, right? And he, he, he pulled together a couple of really interesting things. But uh, I, I think the one stat that uh, I think he grabbed off Twitter that was that Pickford made more saves from shots in the box in the game against Chelsea than any Everton goalkeeper has made in, in over 10 years. Wow. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's impressive. And, you know, one of, one of the biggest criticisms we've had about Jordan Pickford is that his expected goals prevention rate is not as good as some of the top goalies in the league, um, yeah. including the guy he was playing against, Mendy, who leads the league in that stat. But 
Joe, I mean, we talked about it just a couple of weeks ago. I think the last time I was on, we were talking about, you know, what is the ceiling for Jordan? And, 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 and that was the thing is that he often gets beaten by shots he really should have saved. And then he saves some really impossible shots. And you're like, wow, what, what happened there? Yeah. And, and I think the Chelsea game was a good one. I think he made a couple of like insane saves. Yeah. That first half save, was it on Pulisic? The, the kick save where he just yeah. took out his right foot? Uh, no, I think one of them. Uh, it might have been Pulisic. I know he saved the one where Pulisic backheeled it, like let it go through his leg yes, and backheeled right, it in there, right. which was so then I still a really good save. Mound. Yeah, that yeah. was a really good save, right? So, uh, no, I think he had a really good game. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think he gave away that, that, that goal at the near post, which he really shouldn't have. But even that aside, for his Premier League career, that includes his time at Sunderland, that was his highest return for ex- expected goals prevented. So yeah. that, 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 was, that was a really good game. And that's, honestly, again, I, I think Chelsea's expected goals was in that 3.5, 3.6 yep. range. It, was, it yeah. would not have been a surprise for this game to have ended 4-1, like you yes. call, right? Yeah. No, not with the chances they created, no. So um, I, I think a good helping of luck and some horrendous finishing from Chelsea. But I will give Pickford credit and I'll give our defense credit. I think they, they did what they had to do and they, what they yeah. could do, I suppose under the circumstances. So, no, I, I want to give Pickford a shout-out. I think he had a really good game. No, yeah, that's fair. Because I, I think we don't give him enough credit. I think he's had a very, very good season considering the circumstances and the yeah. ever-changing defense in front of him and the, the midfield that's in the, the players that have been in front of him. I think he's had a fantastic season. And honestly, some of these – we could have given up, I, I think, a lot more goals, not just in this game, but over the course <laughs> of this stretch, I think he's yeah. been a huge factor. and really. Since it's been a, you know, it's, he's had a really good stretch, um, you know, over, you know, Euros and last, dating back to yep. last season, he's been very good and, and it's been very impressive from him and it's been much more mature. Um, he seems to really be growing into himself as a goalkeeper. And I mean, yeah. I, you know, if I know that there's some debate about this across all of England and who should be England's number one, I don't know how you watch. Jordan Pickford week in and week out the way he's been playing and not just assume he's the England number one and has that job. Right. But, um, but he has been fantastic for us and has not only saved us points in this game, but probably a few others as well. So, um, you know, he, he was great, but I think that about wraps it up for Chelsea. Um, We're going to take a quick break. And I'm going to come back with uh, Matthew, otherwise known as Tactically Everton on Twitter. He is going to join me, talk about some of the tactics, talk about Rafa compared to Carlo, talk about how some players are fitting in and some players aren't. We're going to dive into all of that stuff um, coming up next. All right, we're back now, and we're joined by uh, an RBM contributor, a new RBM contributor, uh, Matthew Smith. Uh, Matthew, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm very good. How are you? Uh, doing well, doing well. Happy to finally get you on because we haven't been able to uh, kind of uh, come up with a good time or day to do so, but uh, you're a busy man. But you you are uh, you go by the name Tactically Ev, I believe, Tactically Everton on, um, David, yep. on, on, on Twitter, um, and he is our tactics extraordinaire tactics expert. Um, but before we're going to get into all of that, we're going to get into kind of the Rafa situation, uh, how things have changed, uh, what's different from Carlo. But um, 
first, we want to learn a little bit about, about Matthew. Um, tell us where you're from, how you became an Everton fan, uh, just kind of your general background uh, in terms of Everton and, and I guess your life. Yeah, so I'm, I'm from Southampton in England and um, come from sort of a split family, half from Liverpool, half from Southampton. Uh, and my dad forced me into becoming an Everton fan, um, fortunately or unfortunately, whichever way you look at it. But um, yeah, so since first game I ever watched when I was six um, and just fell in love with it then. Um, and then over the last sort of, you know, I'm 25 now, so I've been playing most of my life, playing football until probably August, uh, where I suffered a second ACL injury. Um, so I've sort of had to retire. So now I'm sort of uh, exploring different avenues in football um, with coaching and tactical analysis, writing, just trying to get that fix of football without playing it, unfortunately. But yeah. Yeah, no, and it obviously sucks. I'm sure at such a young age to have to stop playing, um, you know, is obviously uh, never, never fun. But, um, but, you know, we have you now, so that is a benefit to us, and we're going to get to talk to you about all that stuff. Um, who's your favorite Everton player over the years? Oof, that's a tough one. Uh, I think Leighton Baines has always been a favorite of mine. Uh, you know, he's this sort of Everton fan and... Um, just so loyal, just so he never seems to be a player that uh, sort of moaned about anything. He just got on with it. And then in his sort of personal life, he just seems quite relaxed. He's not one to be plastering stuff all over social media. And he was just such a chilled out, chilled out player. And it's great to see that he's still involved at the club in, in some capacity. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's a, he's a fan favorite of many, including myself. He is the first actual, he's the first Everton Jersey I ever got uh, as a kid. So uh so definitely a fan favorite or definitely a favorite of mine as well. Um, and, you know, we'll wrap this up and get into the tactics. But before we do that, favorite Everton memory. And, and I'm about your age, so there aren't many to choose from. But <laughs> what do you no, got? That's, that, again, that's a difficult one. Um, God, I think, well, most recently springs to mind is finally getting that Anfield win. I know we've been after it for so long and, in my time of watching football, I've never seen it until then. Um, so that was a special, special moment. And it's hard when a lot of other teams, of other supporters of other teams will be talking about their trophy wins and their title wins. But unfortunately, we don't have that. So it's, it's little moments like that that you have, to, you have to pick up on. So it's definitely, it's definitely up there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've talked to a couple of the other older RBM contributors, Jeff, who's just joined us, Kevin, and obviously they have memories, some of memories at least, of of the the cup wins and the nineteen ninety five cup win. And I was born in ninety five, so there was no that's the last time yeah. you know, that's the last time we won a trophy. So I've never experienced that as you have never experienced it. So it is there's there's not a lot to choose from, but the Anfield one is is a good one, at least from recent memory. Um but like I said, let's get into the tactics. Let's get into talking about Rafa and kind of what's going on and, and what you see um, as someone who's played the game, now coaches the game. Let's start with the differences between what we've seen from Rafa compared to what we saw from Carlo at the end of the season. Obviously, Carlo had a rough stretch towards the end of the season uh, where he um, you know, didn't win too many games. We're kind of seeing a, a similar thing with Rafa right now. What's the differences between the two managers? I think there is a lot of similarities in terms of the way we sort of set up defensively. He likes to make his team compact, um, difficult to beat. 
Um, in, t- in terms of differences, obviously, I, th- I think last year we, we had a bit more quality in, ter- in terms of creating chances. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the likes of Lucas Dinier was uh, more advanced, got more involved in, in the play, uh, which definitely helped us. And then obviously someone like James Rodriguez, you, you can just give him the ball wherever on the pitch and he's going to create something. And we, we certainly miss that now. Whether he would suit Rafa's style is, is another question. And I think that's due to what Rafa demands from his players compared to Ancelotti. Ancelotti was happy for James Rodriguez to drift around the pitch, not really work too much, whereas Rafa would not allow that for anyone. You see, he's brought in players like Townsend, who, although may not be the best technically and certainly not on the same level as James Rodriguez, but he'll work the whole game. And that it's when Hammers left, I was a bit disappointed. But then as time goes on, you kind of see, right, he probably wouldn't have fit into this system that we have. So it's very much a sort of pragmatic and you have to work hard or you will not play. As simple as that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we're seeing that um, just in terms of, you know, you're right. I think that was the big thing was he didn't work hard. And we knew that Rafa had worked with Hamas before and knew they had troubles and disagreements. So um, not surprising that he moved on um, when Rafa showed up. But, um, you know, you mentioned Luca Dean and obviously we'll get into him a little bit because he's um, because he's he's a big kind of uh, question mark, I guess you can say right now as to what's happening with him. Um, but before we do that, let's talk about what you're seeing on the pitch between, um, you know, Rafa's first four games. Obviously, there were injuries, and injuries have been a huge factor, Dominic Calvert-Lewin being one of them, and now we've got about 12 players. But what has been the difference, the main difference that you've seen apart from the injuries, maybe in the tactics, that um, has been different from that four or five game stretch where we were successful in the beginning of the season to now where we have barely won any games? So I think in terms of the tactics, it, it hasn't changed too much. But due to, so for example, when you're playing Cavalier up there with Richarlison, you can get the ball into him. He'll run the channels. He'll work a defender hard and he'll win so many fights and headers and things like that. And I think he expected Rondon to be that, that player. And if you look at his days at Newcastle and West Brom, he was that player. He was that player working hard winning battles, winning headers. And when he's come back and obviously been out in China and he's quite clearly not as fit as he used to be, he's not that that Calvert-Lewin player anymore. And I think what we've done is we tried to play the same way, get the ball into the striker, quick counter-attacks, and Rondon just doesn't suit that. So I think it's been a massive problem with uh, not having Calvert-Lewin up there. When we play Richarlison there, like you saw against Arsenal, we played like a proper centre forward, you know, chasing balls down, holding the ball up for other players to get involved. But um, in terms of differences, we're, we're still trying to sort of play on the counter-attack. But when you've got Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, Gray, they're so quick. But you replace that with Rondon, maybe Townsend, it's just not the same. And we can't counter as quickly. And I think that's where we sort of struggled, uh, unfortunately, in recent games. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've I've been saying on the podcast, Dominic Carvalhoon has been a huge miss because of that, because he's unable, we don't really have a player who's able to hold up the ball as well as he can and be as strong and as quick as he has been. And um, he puts pressure on those, those, those back lines. And 
you know, we mentioned it, you know, Richarlison against the bigger, more physical center backs has more of a problem. So, um, you know, with Arsenal, they're, I guess, a little bit smaller, a little bit more, as Calvin pointed out, a little bit more ball playing center backs, um, which I think helps Richarlison a little bit. Um, Now we've talked about Rafa's tactics. We haven't really gotten into what they actually are for, for people who, you know, may not know Rafa may not, understand the tactics really or understand tactics of football too much um could you give us like a a little bit of a description of what Rafa's exact system is and how he likes to play football and what we're seeing you know his system on on the pitch week in and week out so I think it's quite an an old-fashioned setup where for example nowadays you see a lot of wide players if you look at Man City it'll be the likes of Phil Foden and Jack Grealish they're not really asked to defend if you're playing in this Rafa system and you're a wide player, you're a defensive wide player. Townsend, a lot of the time, you will see him doubling up with Coleman. So if the ball goes wide, they hunt together. Same on the other side, Damari Gray, who is not as good defensively as as uh, Townsend, but that's what he asks of them. That's why I think Anthony Gordon's getting the game time now because he does that defensive work rate. And when we counter-attack, they're not, he's not asking fullbacks to get forward too much. We focus on the wide players, getting the ball out wide and then crosses into the box. And um, that's why Lucas Digne, I think, suffered because he used to be an outlet for us. A lot of the time, if you look at his average positions this season, it's so much more defensive. And he used to play as a left winger at left back when we had the ball. And he's not that option anymore. He's not being asked to do that. Our, Our wingers are our wide options. And then the central midfielders can then bomb on. Um, unfortunately, I think that's where we've been caught out when we play Allen and Decore. He's asking Decore to get into the box and feed off the strikers or get in, get a header. But we do get caught out on the counter-attack. And I think in the early games, we did get away with it because we were playing lesser teams. So Decore could bomb on and they wouldn't counter you know, quickly and we'd get away with it. And I think that's why a lot of people were calling out for the free in midfield because when we're playing against better teams, we want the core to get forward, but we need that uh, setup where he has the freedom because he has the, the structure behind him, um, which I don't think Rafa really likes, unfortunately. Um, he's been very reluctant to play the free in midfield. Um, and I think, yeah, 4-4-2 slash 4-2-3-1 is the way he plays and I don't think that's going to change too much. Now, you mentioned Luca Dean. We'll start there because there's a couple things from what you talked about that I want to I talk about. But um, let's start with Luca Dean. Um, and we've obviously heard some rumors about a, a player from Dinamo Kiev that's uh, reportedly going to be coming to Everton in January as soon as the window opens. The deal is basically done. Um, was it ever going to work with Dean and Rafa's system? Was this, is, is him moving on and us, you know, selling him? Is that the best thing for him and for the club? It, you know, tactics wise, is Dean the type of player that can really fit into a Rafa system? Uh, the thing is, a lot of people have been criticizing his defensive work recently. But if, if you look at the underlying stats, it's, it is in his favor. He, he is still a good defender. If you look at the stats, a lot of people are saying, don't look at the stats. I watch the games, but he is up there in the top top brackets for you know winning tackles, you know beating winning tackles against dribblers, and you can't deny the the statistics. Um, and I, I do think he can fit in, but he just his his best assets are going forward. 
-hmm. And if you're not using them, you're getting a less of a player. It's, he can be good defensively, but he's, you know, he's a six out of 10, seven out of 10 defensively. When he goes forward, you're getting the assist, the chances created, and you're simply missing out on that. But I think with this new left back, I don't know too much about him, but just looking at the at his sort of stats, it is more of a stay at home fullback. He's he's not going to bomb on too much. Um, and you can sort of see why Rafa would, would want someone like that to fit in there. And I think if, if you look financially, I, I'm not sure how much we paid for him. I think it was around 18 million for Digne. He's 29 now. We've had a decent bit of service out of him. I imagine we'll get more than 18 million for him. Mm. Business-wise, it, it does sort of make sense. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I've, I've actually, you know, originally to the idea of selling a, a player of, of Dean's, Dean's caliber, I, you know, it's like, it's, it's almost like, how, how could you do that? He's been so good for the club. And, but with current financial state and, you know, the age of Dean, which I honestly didn't realize how old he was. I didn't realize he was already 29. It feels like he was 26. I think, like, I think so as well, good. this is a, a problem we've had is we sign these players and then we'll give them another contract. Mm -hmm. Before you know it, they're 33, 34. And players like Theo Walcott, we pay 20 million or whatever. And then a few years later, we can't really sell them and their contract runs out and it's gone. And that's what's put us in this position. Mm -hmm. We have to start getting money back for players. And if there, an opportunity arises, whether it's Richardson, Calvert-Lewin, and Digne, just don't be shocked, Everton fans, if we do sell them because we have to change the way we do things. Yeah, definitely business has to change. And I think, unfortunately, the unfortunate thing about the way Everton is, I think, think that selling players is, and selling players that are, you know, maybe uh, top quality players that will play for a city or an arsenal or, a, you know, a, a, or a, you know, United or whatnot. Um, those are the type of players that, you know, we unfortunately have to sell just to keep finances going in the right direction. And I, th I think that, you know, keeping players in the club and, and uh, you know, on the pitch that have something to fight for a little bit in terms of, you know, being younger and have something to prove like we've seen from Richarlison. Uh, certainly has seemed to work out for us a little bit. So, um, you know, the new uh, the reports of the new left back, he is 22, so he is a little bit younger. He'll have something to prove in the Premier League, so fingers crossed it does work out. Um, you know, sticking with the transfers, though, it, to fit in, you, you know, you mentioned how Rafa likes to play and certain things that he doesn't have, especially when Decore bombs forward and, you know, the midfield being a little bit, um, you know, I guess it not really working as well in the system that Rafa has that, that he, than he would have liked. Where do Everton need to look in the January transfer window to bolster this squad um, and to make them a squad that's competitive week in and week out uh, and that can get us at least through the end of the season? I think the obvious one is obviously the right back situation. I think that's been overdue for about four years now. Um, I love Seamus Coleman, but I think his reputation is getting tarnished a bit now because he's clearly not the player he used to be and he doesn't deserve this criticism because it's not his fault that he's playing every week. And we're seeing it now, he's getting an injury here and there. It, that needs to be, he needs to be replaced, as simple as that. I think originally they expected maybe John Joe Kenny could come in, but when you're playing Ben Godfrey over him or Mason Holgate at right back, it's quite clear that John Joe Kenny's not the answer. Obviously, he started against Chelsea, but that was kind of reluctantly. Um, other positions, I think centre-back, I think simply because Yerimina is, is so unreliable now and 
as much as he, he's our best player, I've written an article about the differences between whether he plays when he plays and he doesn't play, and it's outstanding. Um, but you can't have a player, I think he's probably top two, top three highest earners at the club. You can't afford to have a player like that that's only going to play half the games. Yeah. If we can get a decent fee for him and replace with a, you know, a similar, similar centre-back, similar mould, then that would be great. Maybe Jared Brantford can be that. Uh, we don't know yet. Um, but that's certainly an area. And then if we're being greedy, a, cent- a central midfielder. Or similar to Fabian Delph, who likes to sit and get on the ball and dictate play. We don't really have a player like that. We've seen Alan try and play deeper. And I don't believe he, he works there as well. He's good getting forward. He's good on the ball in higher areas. And a younger, fitter Fabian Delph would be perfect for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I think those are all positions that we could really desperately need in the January window. And, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, this, this early business continues and we can get players in as early as possible. If we are going to get more players in uh, and we can uh, kind of, start to bomb on now and bomb forward um, because we kind of need to at this point. Um, but let's focus now on and shift our focus to the last three matches. Now, Everton <laughs> obviously beat Arsenal 2-1, to one, um, then lost to Crystal Palace 3-1, and then tied Chelsea with, you know, a ton of players out um, uh, on the Everton side. There were some on the Chelsea side as well. But what have you seen from – uh, you know, maybe the last three matches. What was different in that Crystal Palace game, tactics-wise, and the way Everton, uh, you know, as a, as a team approached the game and approached the game uh, throughout the throughout the match, um, compared to the Arsenal match and the Chelsea match, where we seemed to be a little bit more compact, a little bit more composed, and, and able to, you know, while Chelsea did miss a few chances, able to kind of hold both those teams at bay. So I think with the Arsenal game, the way we set up was obviously a. 4-4-1-1 with Townsend just behind the striker and when he's in there he's going to work hard and we seem to have such a more organised press against Arsenal in high areas we sort of let um, Partey have a little bit of space but surround him so when the ball came into him we'd then pounce and it worked a few times he was dispossessed four or five times and we targeted that he's not suited or he's not settled into English football too well uh, he's a bit sloppy on the ball he's admitted that himself and we targeted him and hunted in packs and I was really impressed and I thought Rafa's changing things here he wants us to press high win the ball back and just be in the face of all their, their centre-backs centre and their midfield but going to Crystal Palace that just completely went away we just were the complete opposite we'd press maybe one or two players mm-hmm. and we just they just pop it around us. I think Will Hughes was sitting in the holding role, just dictating the game. He had, he'd just come back from injury, I think, and he was at the easiest game of his life. And I think maybe to do with not having Townsend in, in the central role, and instead it was sort of Gomez, who doesn't really have the legs anymore. He can't press, you know, rel- relentlessly. Yeah. And I, I was crying out for Gomez the last few weeks, but mm-hmm. realistically, I think he's... He just doesn't have the legs for it. You saw it against Chelsea. He just gives away sloppy fouls and, you know, where he just can't get the ball. He's probably where his mind's still there, but his legs are a bit older than his mind um, after the injuries had. Um, in terms of the Chelsea game, we obviously tried to set up in a similar way to them with the five at the back, which unfortunately doesn't really... The reason it works so well for them is they have Rhys James and 
this week, Alonso bombing forward, and they basically play as wide players, you know, wide forwards. Um, when we try and do that, we've got Ben Godfrey and John Joe Kenny, and it's just, you know, Ben Godfrey's not a natural wide player. John Joe Kenny's not been playing football for months. Yeah. So it just doesn't work the same. So naturally, we were camped back in our half, and I think we had 20% of the ball. Um, so in, in spells, we defended well, but we gave them too many chances. I think their XG was 3.4 something, yeah. which realistically is you're never going to win games like that. It's, we did get lucky. We did get lucky. Although we showed a lot of passion, determination, things like that, which is great. And that is something we've missed. But you can't gift a team like that that many chances because on another day, that could have been four or five nil. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, in the first 20 minutes, I think they had three chances that probably should have been in the back of the net. Uh, but Pickford obviously played a really good match as well. Um, last, uh, really, we'll wrap this up. Um, and, and again, we'll probably, you know, hopefully be able to get you on a few more times and talk about how things change if we bring in new players and specifically with new transfers, how those new transfers will be able to uh, kind of accommodate to life here at Everton and, and, and complement the squad. Um, but let's just wrap things up with talking about the Andre Gomez situation. Cause you have, um, you, you did bring it up a little bit, you know, we have been crying out for three in the midfield. We have been set, you know, he's been so good in his cameo appearances. I feel like, um, since he came back from injury before the injury, I remember back in, you know, whenever we used to play, start with the two in the midfield that the first half was always a little weird and then he would come on and. You know, I specifically remember the Southampton game, I think it was at the beginning of the season when he came on and, and DeCorey was able to bomb forward and, and was able to create more for himself and more for others. Why is he just, um, is it just the legs or, or does his style of play not fit kind of Rafa's, you know, where he is in the midfield fit Rafa's system? Does he just not work in, in Rafa's system uh, on the pitch for Everton for a full 90 minutes and he's more of a, just attacking player when we need a goal? I think before his injury, he was sort of a, a sort of playmaker. He'd sit deep, he'd, he'd dictate the tempo because he had the legs to get around and things like that. And I think the best performances we've seen of him this season is where I think the Burnley game at home when he come off the bench. Um, most recently, uh, I can't remember which game it was. The, was it the Arsenal game where he came off the bench as well? Uh, yes, he came off the bench yes. against Arsenal, yep. So he's playing sort of 30 minutes and he's got the legs for that. He can give his all, he can press high, he can, he's playing against tired legs. And whenever he started this season, I can't recall a, a, a good performance from him. Yeah. And I just think he's been asked to be a sort of box-to-box midfielder when he comes on and press high and things like that. And he's just not that type of player. He's never been that type of player. When he was at Barcelona, you know, he wasn't doing that. He was, he's a, a deep lying playmaker and you're asking him to do a job, which he's not built to do. And he's certainly not built to do it in recent times after his injury, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been, it kind of, it kind of sucks. Cause you know, you see him out there and he puts out these good cameo performances and you know, we're crying out for three in the midfield and he comes in and you're like, okay, finally we got three in the midfield. We have Delph playing a little bit deeper. He's going to, you know, protect the back line and, and, and it seems like it's all going to work out. And then, you, you know, you go into that crystal palace match and it unfortunately doesn't, but um, that'll wrap it up for us. I appreciate you joining us, Matthew. Thanks for, thanks for taking some time and coming on. 
Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, it was great, you know, hearing from you and hopefully we'll be able to get you on again. You know, as I've talked with Calvin, we've, we want to get you on, you know, hopefully at least once a month just to kind of talk about maybe changes, players that are coming in, especially in January and whatnot. So you guys out there who are listening, uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, get Matthew on. Um, but if you don't, uh, if, if we can't get him on, he will be on Twitter, Tactically Everton, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, and you could follow him there. He has threads on there that um, really break down the games, each game, and, and kind of analyze what's going on with the Everton squad. And uh, of course, he's writing for RBM as well. So um, thanks again, Matthew. Uh, everybody out there, stay tuned. We're going to come back. We're going to take a little break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about, uh, I guess, the upcoming match that, that I guess, I guess we're, we're not sure what the upcoming match is going to be. Obviously, the COVID situation is, is getting a little crazy, but we'll do our best to preview what is to come here in the next few weeks as, as Everton, you know, kind of navigate the festive fixtures. All right, we are back, and uh, we appreciate Matthew for coming on. Um, we, uh, you know, we've been trying to get him on for a while, Calvin, and it's uh, finally come to fruition here. So uh, happy to get him on, and hopefully, as I mentioned, we'll get him on more than you know, more, more than just then. We're, we want to have him on at least once a month to talk about all the things and that are going on and how the tactics have, you know, uh, either ho- hopefully have allowed for some wins and you know maybe some new players have have, have, have added to, to Rafa's team, but, um, and how they fit in. But, um, I did say that we were going to talk about, um, I did say that we were going to talk about possibly a game coming up, but being that that game is, uh, eight days away, (laughs) December 26th. Um, (laughs) and, uh, Lester has been officially postponed. Uh, I think we're just going to focus Calvin. I think we should focus really on the COVID situation in general. Um, before we get to that, though, we do need to mention, um, and as I mentioned with Matthew, um, it seems like Luca Dean is on the way out. Um, you know, I want to get your opinions on uh, Calvin on on what you think of the new signing um, or reported signing, uh, reported and, signing yeah. and and how he will fit in, and and if this is the end of the the career at Everton for Luca Dean, is it the right decision? Yeah, it's it's hard to say, right? Uh, again, what what exactly is going on with with between Dean and uh, Benitez? Uh, I think only the two of them know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it it's disappointing if if this is the end for Dean because that's this is not how uh, we would have liked to see him leave the club. Um, sounds like this this is just a full on spat, and this is not the first one of Rafa's career. Um, I, I think various media outlets have already covered this, that um, if you cross Rafa once, that's pretty much it for your career with that team, right? Yeah. Um, it seems like he's, he's just not the kind of guy to, to ever be okay with making amends or something. So um, it's unfortunate, right? I, I think Digne, over the over the extent of his Everton career, has been very good for us. Um, sure, he's had some games where it's like, uh, you know, sort of head scratchers. Like, what, what, what was he doing there? Um, he definitely is susceptible to pace. Um, there, there is a way to beat him. So I, I think that's known. Um, you know, I, I think as, as we said, right, there's, there's a whole, there's a bunch of ways to look at this whole Dini exit thing, right? 
the good is that wow, Everton have actually completed a have completed or close to completing a signing even before the transfer window. That's that's got to be a first. I, I I do not recall seeing that. Right. I mean, it's not deadline day yet. What are we doing signing people? And I, I, I mean, listen, it's not done yet. Until I see him with the jersey, <laughs> that, I'm not convinced it's happened. That's true. Yeah, so and until we see him sitting there with contract Dave signing the paperwork, yep. it's not done. Um, that could still be forever or who knows what. But, but again, this, this is good. This, this, is, this is quick and, and, and like decisive action, right? This is a position yeah. of need. And why is it of need? Because, and this is the ugly part of it, is that because Dinier has been sidelined, like the only proven center back, uh, sorry, left back on the squad and somehow is being marginalized by the manager, right? So um, clearly the two have some issues between them. Sounds like uh, from I think what we have read in The Athletic that um, Dinier has not, uh, you know, has, has not, has, has, has been critical of some of the tactics Rafa has been trying to uh, put in. Um, Digne, even in official Everton interviews, has said that he feels his output has been stifled because he's been asked to take a more defensive role, which mm-hmm. is just something he's not comfortable with, which is and, and just fine. It's understandable. Um, I, I, I just, uh, you know, and so somehow sidelining a veteran leader like that. And, 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 and let, let's get this right. Okay. Digne is no scrub. Okay. Um, he is a France international. He is France's first maybe 1A, 1B choice for left back, okay? And France are one of the top teams in the world, okay? So for Everton or for Rafa to turn up their nose at a player of that quality is is mind-boggling to me, right? Um, I I think the only other possibility could be is that Everton obviously need to cash in on some assets so that we can buy more players. And if you look at it, right? Who are our sellable assets, right? Richardson, Calvert-Lewin, Pickford, Dini. That, that's about yeah. it, right? Yeah. Maybe Dokore, again, with his age, I would say he's not that, that yeah. bankable, right? Yeah. And, and Dini is about the same issue too. So unless Everton already have had an approach for Dini from whether it's a Paris Saint-Germain or I heard some random rumors about Chelsea that made no sense at all. Um, they have Ben Chilwell and Fernando Alonso. I mean, sorry, uh, what's uh, Alonso's first name? I forget his first name now. Marco? No, Marco's Alonso. Sorry, she's blanking there. So, exactly. So, I don't know why Chelsea would be in for Dinia. That makes no sense at all. But whatever it is. So, if Everton already had an offer for Dinia in January or Dinia has already you know, put in a transfer request, in that case, then fine, this might work. But my concern is... It's a concern like with any other signing, right? Everton scouting has never been that great, right? We're not the Leicester cities of the world who, you know, when Leicester sign a player, almost 90% of the time, the, the player turns out to be a hit. That's yeah. not been Everton's success rate, right? No. So yeah. we don't, you know, I've watched Mikolenko playing in the Champions League. He's, he's decent. But when you watch Kiev playing in the Champions League, they're basically getting steamrolled whether yeah. by it's by Bayern or Barcelona this season, right? So I, it's hard to make a judgment on that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, again, yeah. the Premier League is a much more physical league. Mikolenko seems to have the size, which is great, yeah. but just having size alone doesn't, doesn't make it right, right? Mason Holgate has all the good right physical attributes, but that did not make him a good defender, right? So it was different one, I, <laughs> 
Sure. There was one year where he looked like he had turned the corner, right? Anyway, so I, I don't know about the signing, right? I, if the, I, I think there is a world that exists where Dinia stays, Rafa and Dinia kiss and make up and whatever it is, yeah. and Mikolenko is, you know, gets some, you know, action and, and gets to play a little bit, then we get to sort of bring him on a little slowly. So if somehow we can make Dinia stay the, at least the end, till the end of the season, I think that will be very beneficial for Everton. That might be the right move there. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with, with Dean's age, I mean, there is going to be a drop-off point at some point. And, and we, we mentioned this with right. Matthew. Um, we talked about this and how, um, you know, Everton haven't sold players typically. Um, you know, that, uh, mm-hmm. that typically they wait till the last moment and they're not making money on these players. They're losing money on these players a lot of the time. You know, you would yeah. think that as of right now, you'd be able to get more than 18 and a half million pounds for, for Luca Dina right now. But, you know, we don't know what the situation is. Um, in the current left-back situation, you want him to stay for at least the end of the season just because we yeah. can use the backup left-back. I think um, Michael Kalenko, uh, Michael Lenko is um, more of a stay-at-home left-back, more of Rafa's type of left-back, which is more defensive. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, that is probably a reason why he's being brought in. We also must remember that there is a one Niels and Kunku who is currently at Standard Liege <laughs> right now. Um, and he's – I don't really know how he's doing, but he is – three weeks ago, there was an article about, you know, how he's progressed and trying to get stronger for coming back to Everton. So, um, you know, there is his prospect coming back to the club and – you know, if Michaelenko works out and 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 Kunku comes back to the club and works out, then you have two good left backs who are under yeah. the age of twenty three. So it, it it you know it it may not be the worst thing to move on from Dean at this point, uh, especially if he doesn't fit into the manager's system. Um, but of course, we yeah. would want to keep him until the end of the season. Then we can get in Kunku back and then go from there. Um, but it is an interesting situation. Uh, it is good that Everton and, and listen, I mean, we joke about how the Jersey is being held up yet, but I mean, the D- Dinamo Kiev manager came out and said that he is on his way to Everton. I mean, there really isn't much else we've had Fabrizio Romano. We've had others, um, confirm that, uh, he is signing with the club medicals were going forward. Something, apparently yeah. things, things were happening. So um, it, there really isn't anything to believe, anything to lead me to believe that it wouldn't happen and go through by January first. Um, but I guess we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see on that. I have to mention yep. I was looking at my Twitter, um, and and just an update for everybody who who may not have Twitter or may not is not looking. Richarlison's currently managing his mate's team in Formby, Formby, I think it is this morning. So that's a good video if you want to check it out. It's uh, he's, he's dressed <laughs> up in a suit on a you know on a pitch with a bunch of Sunday League looking players out there. So you know he has been <laughs> he is he's something man. He 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 is a he's been a fun player to watch. And when he does yep. move on, because I think we all have to accept that he will move on at some point. Um, he is going to be dearly missed, I think, by a lot of Everton fans. Um, I say this every time we bring it up, but I, I think a lot of when, when he first came here, the question was, how is he going to perform? Is he going to be too much of a yeah. head case, this, that, and the other thing? But he really has grown into himself and grown into a, an awesome player. And 
you know, if he does move on, I know I will be rooting for him wherever he goes. Wherever he um, goes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, good luck to him if, if he does move on. But right now he's still an Everton player, but hurt, unfortunately. But I did say we were going to talk about the COVID situation. Let's get into that, Calvin, real quick. Um, yeah. I mean, we're sitting here today. It's Saturday, December 18th at 11 a.m. here on the East Coast of America. We've had six games so games this just this week for game week 18 postponed uh so far out of the 10 as of right now um the arsenal leads match is going ahead as far as i've seen ahead, yeah I, I i haven't seen anything to, to lead me to believe otherwise um and we do have three matches tomorrow but it begs the question, you know, what do we do in this situation? The postponements have been far, you know, or not far, have been, have been plentiful over the past week. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Game week 17 had about, you know, three or four fixtures canceled. I think we've already had multiple fixtures canceled before that because of COVID situations. Um, they just keep mounting up and the, you know, it's not, they're not even being called the day before or two days before. Thankfully for the Everton fans and, and for the Leicester fans, the, the Everton Leicester match was called a few days ago. So we, you know, right. they didn't travel, but there are fans traveling to these matches at this point and, and, and leaving for these matches thinking they're going to a game and then come, you know, midway through their trip or when they get there, they find out that the match is not being played. What is your personal opinion on the situation and how this should work out? Yeah, it's it, it's ugly right now, right? It, it's not even messy. It, it, it's straight up ugly. I think there was that there was four games postponed last weekend or last match week, and then six this match week. It's yeah. it this, this this is not getting better. It's getting worse. Um, and and especially traditionally with the holiday fixtures being jammed as they are, right? Because you know I think there's going to be games this weekend. You're going to have Boxing Day games, and then you play again almost quickly again after that, whether it's New Year's Day New Year's, uh, or the day after New Year's Day. Um, so this, this and, and clearly teams have already switched to daily testing at this point, right? So we, we are at the wrong end of this right now. Um, I, I, sounds like I think all the clubs are meeting on Monday um, to, to discuss what's going on and what to do next. Um, it sounds like we're headed for a break, right? I, I think it, it might be necessary at this point just to get this cold situation under control again because clearly this whole opening back up thing has has not gone so well, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think the other interesting thing that I just saw this week, and that's bizarre, is when I, I think they went and surveyed how many players have been vaccinated in the top five leagues across Europe. Yeah. Right, so we're talking about the Premier League, we're talking about France, Germany, Spain, Italy, and and the numbers are pretty damning, right? So in Italy, um, 98% of the players in the CDR have been vaccinated, yeah. Second highest, France, 95%, uh, Bundesliga, third highest, 94, and then La Liga is fourth with 92.8. So all well high into the 90s, right? And, and, and let's just the, point out before you get to that point, notice how many of those matches are continuing to be played around the league, around those spot leagues. Spot on, spot and on. There have been almost no postponements at yes. all in those leagues. But then for the Premier League, and this data is a little outdated, it is from as of two months ago, uh, 15th October, 
it was only 68% of the players had, had both vaccinations at that and, point. And I think the number, I, I think I've seen the number 75% thrown around somewhere. 75, so still, okay, that so, makes a lot more sense. So still right. very low though, compared to the other. Right, ones. right, right. So, and, and also the Premier League or none of the clubs are releasing any data around whether the players who have tested positive, whether they're not vaccinated at all, yeah. single jab, double jab, double jab plus booster, whatever. So clearly uh, a come to Jesus moment is required here for the Premier League. Sounds yeah. like Monday is going to be it. And, um, you know, I, I don't think in, in professional football you can, you can set a mandate. But yeah. I, you know, I think I've seen enough comments from pretty high up figures in in the in the English game that are really really pushing for players to get vaccinated, make sure they're up to date on all their vaccinations and all of that. So um, I, I think that's gonna have to be it, right? There's gotta have to be a break, which is unfortunate because this this is a great time of the year, right? It's yes. a festive time. You spend time with family. There's lots of games to watch, right? So even as Everton fans, even if there's no Everton games on. You still stay hooked to the television almost this entire time. It's one of yeah. the curious times of the year. But I think for the good of the game and for the good of the players, obviously health comes first here, right? Uh, I, I, I think we're headed for an impromptu winter break, and that might be the only way to sort of reset and get this whole thing under control again. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it, it, it's what should happen. I mean, how, how much longer can we go on with these postponements an hour and a half before games start and, you know, two and a half hours before games start and, and, and players traveling, fans traveling, people being put at risk for really, I mean, listen, um, you know, I know, uh, you know, football is played once a week. American football is also played once a week, but for a sport like, a like European football, it's a lot easier to make those games up midweek over the course of the season in a case like the NFL over here in America, there is a set date for the Super Bowl where they have a venue booked, where getting another, right. another date for that venue is going to be hard. And, and really, teams shouldn't be playing more than once a week, really, in the, in the NFL, just because of the physical toll that that sport takes, takes on you. So it's a lot harder right. for a sport like that on pause, where they only have 16, yep. seven, or 18, 17 games a year, 18 weeks a year, and and the Super Bowl is planned out specifically, and they have all these events planned specifically around, um, you know, around the schedule for something like football, especially because of the way this season is going in a way that um, the World Cup is being played next year, not until November. Um, yeah. There's time to make some of these games up if we needed to, to push the season back a couple weeks. There's time to make them up midweek if we wanted to. Um, there's time yeah. to do all these things. So I, I don't find any, there's no good reason for me, especially, you know, again, you mentioned the vaccination rates, even if, you know, the, the common, you know, the common thing is, you know, you may be vaccinated. You can still be a carrier. If players on your team are not vaccinated, it can still affect them. You know, we're not seeing a lot of these times with a lot of these other leagues, players get COVID, but other players are vaccinated. So they may not get it as well. They may be asymptomatic with this that and the other thing um but i think we're seeing bigger outbreaks outbreaks in the premier league because listen you get vaccinated and somebody else on your team isn't vaccinated doesn't mean that you can't carry the disease so you could be giving it to other players and then if it spreads and you have four or five unvaccinated players then you got five and they're getting they're all getting tested and then maybe we're picking up on some some asymptomatic players so you know it's you know i i it 
uh, again, it's hard to present a mandate. I know in some sports they have some sort of mandate to be, you know, here in America, they have some sort of mandate to be vaccinated. And, and yep. um, I think a majority of the players are vaccinated, but there are still some outbreaks and we've seen it in the NFL, the NHL. Um, I'm not sure how many NBA or, or um, well, baseball is over now, but, yeah. um, but, but yeah, it's, I, I think a break is probably what's necessary right now. It's just, it's, it seems crazy to keep doing this when we could take a pause for two weeks, three weeks and say, okay, we'll come back at this right? date and then we'll start adding the fixtures in. We'll give everybody a nice break because God knows that these players need a break as much fun as it is for us. It is <laughs> painful for them to go through the festive fixtures because they play every three days. So, um, you know, I think, uh, I think, and again, you can spread these fixtures out over the course of the rest of the season instead of playing them all exactly. you know, back-to-back weeks and this, that, and the other thing. So I think it's yeah. necessary. Um, if there were a break, what does that mean for this Everton squad? So I think the, the first and probably the best thing about having a break right now is it gives, it gives all the walking wounded in Everton squad some time to get get healthy again because God knows we've got enough injured players and enough uh, you know, players carrying knocks and yep. it sounds like uh, we might even have a couple of players who have tested positive, in which case then it gives them time to get back on their feet. So um, I think the, the Leicester game from this Sunday getting postponed uh, means now we have a clear 10 days between our last game and the Burnley game if that goes ahead. But honestly, if all the teams meet on Monday and decide we're going to have like a two-week pause or something, we're looking at Everton not playing again until January, right? And our yeah. first fixture was supposed to be, oh, we, are, we host Brighton on 2nd January. Yeah. Um, that means we're going to lose the Burnley game and we're going to lose the trip to Newcastle, which you know probably be rescheduled. Uh, but I think that, that basically gives us a whole fortnight to get healthy again. So... Uh, I think we could see a completely different Everton side line up, right? Come January, we yeah. might still be missing Richarlison. Um, and depending on what Gray's exact ailment is, uh, we don't know. But yeah. I think Dom should be back, which, which would be great to see again. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there might be a chance Yeri Mina is back again. Uh, again, never really sure with Yeri on what's the situation. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that this, this is needed. And I think the other piece about that is it might buy Rafa some time to rethink his tactics, right? Yeah. Because uh, it, maybe not so much Rafa. I remember Carlo talking about this previously that even if he wanted to make tactical changes, that with how crowded the fixtures were, um, you know, coming out of COVID the last time, right? Um, yeah. That Rafa, uh, Carlo had mentioned that he didn't have the time on the training ground to implement a lot of those changes. So I, I think Rafa is going to have the benefit of that, right? So this is two weeks to, like he said, keep the players safe, keep them away from COVID, but also a really good time to go back to the drawing board and work out some tactics, work out some, some changes, right? Rafa is like deathly afraid of playing three midfielders. God, go work it out on the training ground. Come on, man, right? You've got enough time now. Just spend a few days working it out, what that looks like. And, and that doesn't mean you leave Dokore as a stay-at-home midfielder, right? You yeah. have well, I mean, I think, I think the, un- the unfortunate part for us and the fortunate part for him is that the three-man midfield did not exactly work against Crystal Palace. So, 
Uh, that was a little right. bit of a difficult watch, but I, I think you're right. It needs some time to be worked out. Yeah. So, and so, no, it, it, and, and, and he had the right idea, but the execution was wrong, right? You can't yeah. have Dokure as the stay-at-home guy. Yeah. Dokure needed to have been up front as the box-to-box midfielder. In fact, we had talked about this in the preview. Dokure needed to have been on Connor Gallagher. That's it. That should have been his one job yes. all game long and just keep him quiet. And had we done that, we would have probably won that game. Because Gallagher pulled all the strings in that game. And he yeah. let him do it. And so, <laughs> we said that on the pod too, the, the review pod. We said somebody should have been shadowing them, whether it be Decore or Delph. Somebody should have been shadowing right. him the entire match. But, um, you know, yeah, but I, I, I agree. I think a break is good from an Everton perspective, purely because it will get us healthier. And, and you mentioned the tactics. I think that's true. And it also gives Rafa some time to look at the squad and make some calls and yeah. say, what do we need? How are we going to get these players in and get some players in? And maybe it'll give them some time to get in a center midfielder that can fill that third midfielder role and not have to start Andre Gomez there or Fabian Delph there. Yeah. Uh, maybe it'll give them exactly. some time to uh, figure out a center back situation, sell you know somebody or what, whatever it may be. Maybe it'll give him some time to figure that stuff out as well. So from a purely selfish and Everton point of view, a two-week break would be good for Everton. Um, it would help them on the pitch, I think, significantly. Um, yeah. Like you said, I mean, if they even suspend the Brighton match, the next time they come back on the pitch is the FA Cup on January 8th. And then after that, the first time they come back for the Premier League is January 15th. So – um, yeah. By the time we play Norwich, Richarlison will certainly be back barring any setbacks. It'll give some right. other players some time to get healthy. And the good thing is it'll give players time to get healthy and they'll have, you know, say a lot of these players seem like they're, they're a week away. They could play in Burnley, but it'll say, you know what? We don't need to rush them. We'll give them the extra week. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's going to be the key there. To, they'll be able to, to work through those injuries. So from a purely Everton perspective, it would be very good for Everton to get a couple weeks off um, and just get some rest and, and, and figure yep. that out. But uh, anything else you want to touch on with the COVID situation, with Everton in general? Did we miss anything? Uh, no. And, and then I, I guess just I think the last thing is obviously the January transfer window is coming. Um, clearly, Everton are not going to hire another director of football right away. So it yeah. looks like Rafa right now is the de facto um, manager and director of football. Yeah. Um, again, I guess it's good from an alignment perspective, right? Because I, I think too often we've had this disconnect here. So we've said this before. I personally don't, don't give a damn if Rafa is in charge of the transfers, but it needs to be one person so that it, it, it's not Moshiri calling someone's yeah. agent and it's not Ken Wright calling his theater buddies and trying to get a deal done. It's one person and one person needs to have a company. Yeah, Rafa signing. Rafa wanted him. He worked out. Rafa, here's your credit. Or, Jesus, what were you thinking? This guy's got to go, right? So, yeah. uh, so anyway, that's all. So from that perspective, I, I hope the team, the team is already thinking January. Um, again, January is never the best time to do business. So I hope we don't go out there and try to throw away money we don't necessarily have. Yeah. But, Let's see. Yeah, and again, listen, I mean, uh, we assume that most of the decisions that were made based on what we've heard, and I would assume that a lot of the decisions made in the summer were Rafa 
led decisions. So we kind of have to give him credit for Damari Gray. Yeah. Um, I know Townsend has had his ups and downs, but he's been a very professional player and has been a good professional presence on the pitch. You have to give him credit for that. And I will say, you know, there was a lot of fuss about Rafa wanting to bring in older players, but you know, the first transfer he reportedly makes is a 22 year old left back. So, you know, we have to give him, you know, let, let's back off a little bit on the Rafa can't do the transfers thing. Let's let him do his thing. And, and we'll see how it plays out. If it's poor, it's poor. But right now we know who to blame if the transfers don't work out. It is Rafa. Exactly. So, um, so we have one man to blame for the problems at Everton if they continue. (laughs) Um, and he does make transfers of course, and it is Rafa Benitez. So, um, you know, it, it is, we know where our anger should be, <laughs> I guess, I guess pointed if that comes to, if that comes to be the case, but, um, yeah. hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully you get some players in, hopefully they, they work out. I mean, Hey, Damari Gray has been phenomenal for Everton. So if we are getting in more players like him, more players that have passion and, and want and desire to succeed and get to the next level above us, maybe, you know, listen, I, I know that yeah. a lot of us want to believe that. Everton are a top club, and listen, I want Everton to be a top club too, but let's be honest with ourselves. The Man Cities, the Manchester Uniteds, and unfortunately, the people across the park are, are uh, you know, they're, they have the money to make themselves a little bit better. So um, somebody with ambition yeah. is what we're looking for. Somebody that wants to continue to prove themselves, make a name for themselves on the national level, um, and, and make their national teams. That's who we're looking for, and I think um, you know, if we can bring in more players like Damari Gray or, or this Michaelenko fella, I, I think we can, um, you know, if, if he works out, I think, I think that's the right direction to move in. So we shall see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's it. Um, I don't know when the next time we're going to talk to you guys is if we do have a Burnley match, we will talk to you guys again then, um, before that match. But as of right now, I guess all of that's up in the air. We'll find out more Monday. Uh, thank you, Calvin, for joining me as always. Um, and thank you to uh, Matthew for joining for joining us as well. Um, to you guys out there, thank you for listening. Thank you for following. Keep subscribing. Keep downloading. We appreciate all the support. Um, that's it from us. We'll talk to you guys next time.